Let's do Harold. Want to do Harold? So one of the joys with Harold is he always stretches us. He always pushes us a little bit further than where we want to go. Convinces us we won't break if we go there. And then we discover we didn't. We can actually go there and we, we can make it. So last night was a fun night where the leadership got together with him. And uh, I couldn't sleep when I got home last night. So Mike, you weren't alone. Um, I tried. I, I did all my go to sleep tools and they didn't work. <laughs> but uh, it's good having Harold back in the house. It's just, you know, for us as a community, Harold and I first met and then he was introduced to the house in 95. He goes that, back that far with us. Um, and that he has been a voice in this community all along, both in what he's spoken in front of us, the books we've read, all the various things. He's just been instrumental in this community being the community that it is. So Harold, I thank you. I thank you for your willingness to put up with us. I am sure that there were times that you came, you were here and you left and you scratched your head and went, dear Jesus, you're gonna to have to help them boys. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going on right now, but um, with that all being said, Harold, Linda, and here's the mic. Thank you. Perfect. Yes, at worship. I whispered to Linda, please, will you, worship, will you teach and minister with me? So at the last minute, I get direction. And so we are going to minister together, but I'm actually going to uh, have us sit on stools, if that would be okay. Um, thank you, bro. We're going to move those stools down here. Somehow it helps when we're teaching together to sit on stools. Um, I can't hit you. You're that's that helps away. too. That helps. Hold on, I'll sit over here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it also uh, keeps me from because I get excited and I want to jump up and share things, but it keeps us much more talking to each other. Um, and we did. A show for the M Middle East for Muslim world for several years where we just read through the New Testament read a verse talk about it read a verse talk about it during that time uh, it's one of the most blessed times that we've had uh, going through every day five days a week verses together for the Muslim people and so we're gonna start at Romans chapter 5 if you have a Bible and I was, you did, shared with Romans a little bit earlier, and I know there were Gospels and then Acts and then Romans, and then there were the letters. Yes. And I really didn't realize that Romans was a letter yeah. because in my mind it didn't start out, dear Thessalonians, dear brothers, and it wasn't short and sweet, right? It yep. was a pretty meaty. It is. And um, then, so when I got home, I kind of read it, and it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophecies, prophets in the Holy Scripture, i got to do my finger, concerning his son, who was born, see, it doesn't sound much like a letter yet. He's taken a long time saying who he is, that, you know. Um, and then it says, then it shows, it goes to somebody, and it goes to Romans, and there were, Romans was 
An empire? Romans was a country at that time. No, it was an empire. So uh, the emperor lived in the city of Rome, Roman Empire, all of southern Europe, northern Africa, and some of the Middle East. And if Paul had been to Rome, he lived in Rome. He, uh, in Jerusalem, was accused of uh, being a traitor to the to Roman Empire. So he was hauled by uh, soldiers to the city of Rome, and he was waiting uh, for a appearance before the Caesar at that point. But in the year 64, he was put to death. So he was in prison, we don't know, but about three years. And but, prison there was a little bit different than prison today. Yeah, so it was an open cell. They only closed the doors at night. Um, he had free access to go out and talk to people. Um, and so it was a different kind of imprisonment because they knew you don't flee that prison. Um, the Romans had put such fear in the prisoners that they would come home to the prison every night because it was torture to ever flee the prison. So he was in the, uh, you know, that type of prison where he could have guests all day long and preach all day long. And most of the soldiers um, he would be sharing the gospel with too. So how is Romans, the book, because it's longer than the it little is. bit letters at the end. You know, if anybody feels like we should stand up while we're, while the word's being preached, feel free to stand, stand up, up, okay? Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure we've <laughs> touched bases with you. Because we're going to our house and talking, right? Yes. So the, I'm, I'm not concerned, that is the wrong word. I'm in my mind trying to see understand why Paul wrote this long book compared to a letter. Did he, what was in his heart, was he taking, was he there, more present in the church there? Or was he more involved as an apostle than places where he visited? So he had not been there previous to going to prison there, but he, um, he had sent emissaries there to represent him. And he had a lot of people who knew him when the, he was being taken to Rome, the Christians came out to meet him, a large crowd of Christians. So he was well known, even though it was his first time that he was being taken to the prison, first time in Rome. So now this is a letter. Yep. So at this point, it's not what he preached then. No, um, they usually had a scribe. So he was probably speaking this to a scribe. Okay. And we kind of think that because in the book of Galatians, he refers to his difficulty in seeing and writing. It implies that he had a difficult time writing. So, thank you. Yes, now we get I have a, a background little bit more for it. Information. And even the city of Rome, um, because I love to talk about this kind of stuff, it had somewhere between half a million and a million people. It varies. Uh, the uh, average home. Consider if you're a citizen, you were to have two children. It was looked down upon to have more than two children. And so the father was dominant in every home, and infanticide was very common, meaning if the one of his wives had more than one, more than the two children who were expected, he would take the child at birth and either give it to a servant to haul out and throw out, but usually the babies were just thrown in the city gutter. Um, but that was common. It would have been common every day 
to see babies in the gutters of Rome. So that's pretty drastic, not very Christian-like. Yep. So uh, what were Romans into? What, who were their gods? Where did they get all this <laughs> culture? Yeah, culture. <laughs> so it was the Greek Empire before the Roman Empire. The Greek Empire believed in all kinds of gods, Zeus, Poseidon, Mars, all Venus. Uh, there's multiple gods. There were 12 dominant ones, but the common people had many more gods. But then the Roman Empire conquers the Greek Empire. And when it conquers, they wanted to keep the religion and the culture of the Greeks. That didn't bother them. No, they said, we will keep it. They made a conscious decision, but we will rule. We're not going to allow the freedom the Greeks allowed people to have. Oh, want to understand Rome? We rule. All roads lead to Rome. We will organize this thing. So the vast majority of people in Rome uh, were living on the government. The emperor and his staff had ships coming in with grain, mostly from Egypt and northern Africa, provided the city of Rome. 40% of Rome were slaves. Um, and as they were, they were slaves, because when Rome conquered any region, and there were 12 distinct regions. Sometimes they shrank to 10, but 12 to 10 regions, they would bring slaves with them to the city of Rome. And the soldiers were, first of all, or the families of the soldiers were allowed a certain number of slaves. Every home of a citizen would have more slaves than family members living in it, slaves and servants. Um, all slaves were available for sexual uh, favors from the family, and especially the father. The father um, was known for that. Because that's why Romans chapter 1 talks about the incredible sexual sins that were going on at that time. So he's is he talking to the whole city, to the church, in the book of Romans? He's is talking to the church, but he, ex he explains the environment they're living in. Okay. You Christians who live in Rome, okay. that's what it's about. Cool. Okay, so I wanted to go to chapter 5, but no, are ready. you ready to go yeah, up there? Okay, we got a background. We often talk this way, okay? <laughs> we go through things. Romans chapter 5, the reason I like to jump up here is because chapter 1, he talks about how sinful the Roman environment is. And he says, the heathens are sinful. Chapter 2, he says, even you Jews are sinful. Chapter 3, he says, everybody needs a Savior because Jews and Gentiles are all sinful. And the way we tap into that Savior is by faith. And in chapter 4, he gives examples of Abraham believed God. It was credited to him to his righteousness. And so we also are only going to access what Jesus brought by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And righteousness now is given to us. That brings us up to chapter 5, verse 1. Okay. Okay. You want to read it? Well. You want me to read it? Well, I Linda's not here to give me your glasses. You better read it. Okay. <laughs> you know, we're both getting old, and we both need glasses these He's days. Got a little print Bible. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also, we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of glory. So therefore, having been justified by faith. 
So as I explained chapter 4, he was saying, even the Old Testament uh, men of faith, they obtained their righteousness by putting faith in God. So now I'm bringing up another problem. Justified is kind of a, a court... Uh, Courtroom word. word, right? Yes. But then there's also justified. I'm doing ebooks, and I can justify, justify the pages the left, or justify on the right, or I can justify it on the right and left. So I'm thinking, make straight, make straight, make straight, bring justified. it into alignment Mind. with that which is true. Okay. The word justified. Not necessarily a legal term here. Um, however, this has been translated for English people. And as it's translated for English people, they legalize the words. The original Greek, it would not have been a legal term. Okay. It was a relational, relational that you are brought in right relationship with God. And reconciled is more accurate to the Greek because you're reconciled to God rather than justified in God's eyes. So it's actually because Americans like legal terms, they put justified okay. rather than reconciled there. We do that a lot. We do that a lot. Yeah, and everything. God, you pr you promised. Now, where's where is it? You know, it's 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 like I put in my quarter and I want the gumball. Where is it? We tend to read the Bible that way. We tend to have a Christianity that thinks if we just figure out the formula, then God has to answer. Put in a coin, and the machine is going to produce. Yeah. And it's not written in that terminology, but we read it in that terminology, and some of the words have been translated that way. So I have an example of that. We had a neighbor show up at our house, and he was really sad and crying out. He had gotten married, and he said, I did everything right. I didn't have sex before marriage. I followed all the rules, and I, got, I was told I'd get sex when you get married. <laughs> Ding! Quarter didn't produce anything. And it was, it, it, he was, it should be legal. I mean, this is, I followed all the rules to get to this point. I put in my quarter and I have no gumball. Yes, she gets to real, real problems right away, okay? And Christians in America often will think, well, I raised my kids according to all the rules. I put them to Christian school. I did all this, I did all this, and the kids don't turn out. It's still our system of thought. It's a Western way of thinking Legal. that if you do this correctly, you'll get the right outcome. Yeah. The it's, math, it's math instead of English. It's math instead of real life. Yeah. Yes. And there's a frustration in all of Western Christianity because of that tendency. And like back to your sexual example. Have, our neighbor. Yes, our neighbor. <laughs> but having, we're coming up to our 44th anniversary. I know that because I said I do, there was no guarantee. It's not put a coin in the machine. It is now that the coin's in the machine, I have to have a relationship to make this machine work. It needs some oil. It needs some oil. <laughs> exactly. But being a Western person, we tend to think that relationships and the Bible works like a machine. Yeah. But it doesn't. And the more you raise kids, the more you learn this is we the way life works. We have two doodles. And they are Golden black, doodles. Golden dogs. doodles. They're black and white. Luther is totally this. And then we got Lucy. And she doesn't have any of Luther. No. And it's like... How can you, and they have to share the same dad dog. And it's like, really? 
they're totally different creatures. They are. It used to be before we got Lucy, I, we had Lu Luther and Calvin. Yeah. I named those two. <laughs> she, she, because I have a little difficulty with Luther and Calvin, so I wanted to yell at Luther and Calvin. So I named my dogs Luther and Calvin. And that was and that was typical of in Geneva, right? They in Geneva, where John Calvin had his authority in that city, there were, that name for dogs was more used than any other yeah. name for, for dogs. The, for the protesters, so you can name a dog. That's how you protest. Yes. So I was still holding to tradition. But you, your heart didn't follow that. No, my heart didn't follow that. Then I fell in love with the dog, and that was a real problem. Yeah. Okay, I don't think we've said much other than justified from yeah. what's in this verse. Okay. <laughs> therefore, having been justified. So I like the word therefore because it says, uh, I've already explained this. Therefore, now we're going to talk about the consequences of it. And you've, I've heard you talk a little bit about, you kind of mentioned that Abraham was accredited righteousness. Yeah. But we, we have something We are different. given righteousness. Yeah, that's, good. that's a big influence because in chapter 4, Abraham was credited, and it means David also there's a side mention, but Abraham's the big one. And some translation says reckoned as righteousness, others say accredited, but what it is is he wasn't given righteousness, it was God accounted him, said, I'm going to treat you as if you're righteous. That was Old Testament. But some people still have their, in that, in the... That for their mind today. Today, yeah, yes. it's still there. And that changes in the New Testament. We could not be given righteousness in the Old Testament because Jesus had not yet died. On the cross, he took on our sins, and then we get his righteousness. Because so the great exchange. And so in Matthew... In if I had a million-dollar debt when we were married, yes. and I married him... I could share the debt with him. Yes, if now, you said, we, I do, boom, you've we, got a million-dollar debt. Yeah. So Jesus on the cross said, I do. Therefore, our sins became his sins, but his righteousness become ours. So the vocabulary has to change from Old Testament, New Testament. So here in chapter 5, down at verse 17, he says we receive the gift of righteousness. That's because we're a New Testament. We receive his righteousness. It's literally within us. Also in Matthew, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 10 and 11, he describes we've been given a spirit and the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So now you've got to talk about the promise. Okay, so there's four promises in the covenant. So it was spoken through Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, all three of them. But every time the promises of the covenant that would be made through Jesus are worded, they're worded differently. So Ezekiel talks about three times he names what the covenant that comes through Jesus is. Jeremiah does it several times. Isaiah does it several times. So if you put them all together, you can draw out of them four promises. Number one, I'll remember your sins no more. That's the one everybody knows. Number two, I'll give you a new heart. Number three, I'll give you a new spirit, which is righteous. And number four, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, which will cause you to walk in my ways. So these are the four promises in of the, the new covenant the, that were, pr that were promised in the Old Testament. You can also get that out of Hebrews chapter 8 uh, because it also describes the, the promise of the new covenant 
in chapter 8 of Hebrews. So what's your name? What's his name? Joe. 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 So I had a hard time not, I'm really glad he prayed for you because I'm like, oh, my mother's heart. Linda, sit down and shut <laughs> up. The mother's heart. He wants to get baptized with fire. You. Right? Yes. So, <laughs> you know, that's, I was like, he's one. He wants a dip. So we, we met um, with a pastor. Yeah. I'm trying to think of his name. I don't know which one. Sorry. We have met with a pastor. Longview. Longview, Oregon. Oregon. Yes, Jeff. Washington. Jeff. Jeff, so Jeff. Jeff is on the West Coast. We were driving through. Hey, Jeff, you want to do lunch? We meet with him. We've been to his church several times. and uh, But we're kind of catching up relationally with COVID. You drive through, you talk to everybody. And uh, he said he heard of some guy having baptism and fire on the East Coast. In South Carolina. South Carolina. Right? Yeah. And uh, he went over and, 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 and they have, I want to say, four tanks is what Jeff said. Yeah. Going. And they literally have people in line waiting to get baptized. They're being baptized in water and then, um, but with words of being baptized in fire. And so thousands, thousands, and thousands of, of people are, are going in through line. this church. Right, right. But now Jeff took it home and, you know, we're, we're a little slow picking stuff up. And when it's not your thing, you know, you're kind of duplicating and how, how good is it going to turn out? So for over a year and a half, He's once a month been having a baptism of fire service on Sunday night. So we asked him lots of questions like, what, you know, does the guy in South Carolina do a big teaching about it? And he said, no, he just says, what is the verse? Like, I'm not sure which verse. Tell about me. being baptized in fire that he just talks well, about. Well, Jesus said, you'll be baptized in fire. You in know, in you addition, have... but you'll be, he didn't just say that. He said, no. Well, I'm wondering which verse. There's I don't several know the verse verses. Or I would close my eyes and say it. Um, Matthew 28, last four verses, are the one he'll baptizing all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. But they are seeing it as a baptism of fire, and people are coming out fully on fire for God. Well, but Jeff, this was the part that was amazing. Jeff said, "Now we've been doing it long enough that we've." Um, what it spoke to me was listening to how Jeff uh, hosted the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And they, they would have, I think they have four attendants at the trough. I think yes. in my mind, they're using a trough. Yep. And, um, you know, one person is speaking. One person's making sure they're not drowning. One person's helping them out of the yes. tank. And everybody's been serving for a year and a half, once a month. And so the gentlemen, they have a place where you go change and a little booth, and you go take your clothes, and while he, they put him there, he folds their clothes, this gentleman that's helping in the back room, folds their clothes and prays over their clothes, and, and then closes the curtain until they come back. And then, and he said, the gentleman said, you've been serving, Jeff said, Pastor Jeff said, you've been serving so amazing. He goes, we want to get you out of the back room and, and get you, you know, doing something up front. He said, no. I get to see him just before they go, and I'm the first one to hear the words after they come out of the Yes. And he goes, I wouldn't give it up for anything. And, and it was so beautiful just hearing God's, what they were doing. And so when you talk about those four things, we've, he forgives our, he will remember our sins no more. no more. And then we get a, a new, new heart. heart. We get a new spirit, spirit, 
and we get the Holy Spirit that causes. And I yes. and I'm like I do one and four pretty good. Yeah. But two and three, yeah. a new heart and a new spirit. I, I'm wondering. Most Christians don't know don't what that know, means. Right. So and the new so heart. When I think of them, I think that's that could be a baptism of fire thing to get a new Cause heart. You're yes. Because you were usually baptized. Yep. For the forgiveness of, of sins. sins. Yes. Right? Yes, and most Christians only know number one of the promises. So the heart, um, actually, the new heart, most Christians in our culture don't even know you get a new heart. They still think their heart is totally wicked because drilled into their mind is Jeremiah 17, verse 9, which says the heart is desperately wicked. And that verse has been repeated so many millions of times Christians can't even get it in their head that when they got born again, they got a brand new heart. This heart wants to please God, and God is writing his desires on this heart. Rather than on a stone. Yeah, like the Old Testament covenant was write my desires on stone. New Testament is he is writing his desires here, so we will want to do what he wants us to do. And that changes your entire life because it means your heart's not your enemy, but actually, it's the number one way God leads you on how you're to live your life. So uh, at home, we, when Harold traveled, I attended a church. And the way I would speak of our senior leader is, you know, it wasn't wild and fluffy and woo-woo. But every Sunday, I felt that he exposed took a peek at my heart, rolled back a place mm -hmm. in my heart, and it was safe to hear from God and, and get, have some kind of communion with my heart yes. at church. Yes. And there's sometimes you're doing loud and fluffy and you don't ever get to that place of intimacy mm -hmm. with the Father. Yeah. So. And so it was profound when everyone's heart is open because the heart is the doorway to the world of the Spirit. And so when people open up their hearts together, not only are they connecting with God who's in the spirit, but there is a bonding that happens among all others whose hearts are open. This is how the body of Christ literally be melted together is by the exposing of people's hearts. So we get a new heart and then we get a new spirit. What, yes. hap what happened to our old spirit? Do <laughs> okay. we have a spirit? So we understand that God breathed into Adam breath into his physical body clay clay okay into yes it's i know the answer if you it can be translated as clay or dust from the earth he formed adam because and when god's breath, breath came, came in into it that well stuff when it went zing, yeah, zing. then you got a living soul. The soul came That's into really existence. Cool. That's really cool. So the spirit came from God. The stuff of the earth formed the body. And when they had contact, the soul comes into existence. So the spirit was already existing in God, but the soul comes into existence. So like Psalm says, within my mother's womb thou did form me. There's other verses that talk about the soul coming into existence at that time. So then the spiritual substance is passed through the generational lines. So DNA and the spiritual stuff, I like to call it the spark of life, goes from mom and dad to the baby, and in the womb of mom, the soul comes into existence. So where is that God stuff? It, where, you said the we soul see, and the body. So We see the spirit. Spirit, 
the breath, the spirit and breath are the same word. Okay. Now, with the DNA, goes on to the new baby, the conception within DNA mom. is body stuff. Uh, DNA is the code written in the cell of the sperm and the egg, DNA. The information to form you is in the DNA. But with that, there's a spark of life. There's a breath from God. And where's the soul in that little thing? So the soul does not come into existence until the womb of mother. So when the physical and the spiritual come in contact, oh, just like, like with Adam, Adam. Okay. it also happens within mom, okay. a creation happens. Now, then it goes on to the next generation. Next generation. The only exception to that was Jesus Christ. New spiritual substance was breathed into the Virgin Mary. Because the verse says. Because he's the only begotten of the Father. And many Christians misunderstand that. They think that something descended into the womb of mom for the creation of every human being. But that's not true. Our soul wasn't up playing upstairs. No, Jesus says, no one has come from above except me. No man has seen the Father but me. We did not pre-exist. And that's a heresy the church has fought in for years. But Jesus made it really clear. I alone have come from above and into the womb of Mary. Then he takes on human flesh. So, so I don't know how we so got off on that. We're talking about spirit. We got a new spirit. We got a new spirit. spirit. So yes. I had this spirit from yes. the breath of God passed on from my parents. Yes, this spirit that came through Adam it allows you to think, breathe, sleep, live. It is what allows you to be alive. Spark of life. Spark of life. And every human being has it. Okay. So in Job 34, verse 14 to 16, it says, If God were to inhale his breath, every human being would turn to dust. That means every human being Depends. is dependent on God's breath to be alive. That doesn't mean they're saved. It means they're alive. And they're pretty close to God then. They're God's, pretty close yeah. to God. And that's another thing that we've tried to teach against, the myth of separation. People in evangelical Christianity tend to think non-Christians are separated from God, but that's not true. Every breath. Every breath every they breath take. Every breath they take is God. Also in Acts 17, it says, God made from one man, Adam, all of humanity. Then Paul said, and in God, we live and move and exist. And the context was Christians and non-Christians. All Christians and non-Christians, in him we live and move and exist. There is no existence apart from God. However, that doesn't mean they're eternal beings. It's not until new breath comes in, the second breath comes in, that now they become eternal Jesus beings. Jesus is the first begotten of many. Of, uh, uh, he's the firstborn born, of many, many brethren. But that was referring not to his first birth. It was coming out of the grave and taking on his glorified body. He was the firstborn to be born a son of God, be born a child of God. So he's talking about our full adoption, our fully becoming. Jesus was the first, first. that got that. So he's not talking about the born experience. He's talking about the, the manifestation of the born again experience. It came into you when you got born again, but it explodes in you and you turn into a child of God. So I'm, I'm thinking of Joe here. Yes. Back general, to Joe. Back yes. to Joe. Okay. So how, 
the word was amazing, fruit and roots. That yes. was pretty powerful. Powerful. Yeah. And that's what we did to our willow trees. We had yes. to, we put some stuff in the ground that killed the roots. Yep. It took two or three years before the Round tree up did it. Yeah. Before the tree started to yep. look dead. Yeah. Yes. Right. But yes. it took a while. It took a while. And so in that process, Romans is kind of talks about that process of, of that period of how things become new. Yes. So I would go to Romans chapter 8, where there it talks about, I'll read the two verses, verse 10 and 11. It says in chapter 8, um, verse 10, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So if Christ is in you, that means if you're a Christian, even though your body is dead, and it's not saying physically dead in that sense. In chapter 7, he was talking about death is at work in your body. So the word death has a different definition than Americans think. We tend to think death is when you yeah. lose life and you're put in the grave, okay. where the word death is the opposite of life to Jewish people. And life is a process, not an act, not an instantaneous event. event. Death is a process, not an event in biblical thought. Therefore, we know what life is. Life is abundance, it's happiness, it's joy, it's, you know, vitality. Death is the opposite in Hebraic thought. It is sin and shame and guilt and oppression. It's all of that yucky stuff is death in biblical thought. So in chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is death. It wasn't saying the wages of sin is to be put into the grave. He was saying, no, the wages of sin is guilt and shame and sickness and poverty. And, and yes, it ends in being put in the grave, but death is a process which ends in being put in the grave. So, and Adam and Eve sinned. They did not die as an event. They started experiencing shame and guilt and all of that other stuff. Where they wanted to hide. Where they want to die. And then they wanted to hide. Hide, yes, hide. wanted to hide. That's good, too. <laughs> but it ended in being turned into dust. So they started a process of death when they ate of the forbidden fruit. So now back here, the body is dead. That means the body is suffering under death. The body is experiencing. It's like a storm when it rains. Yes. We're all under the rain. We get We're wet. We're all under the rain. But even if my body is under the rain, under the guilt and shame and all of that, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If you're a Christian, the inner person is alive just because you've received Jesus. Okay. But now, verse 11, but if the spirit of him who Jesus. raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Though the spirit of God, yes. the him is God. Because he raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. And, and I don't know. That bugged me at Easter. I was like, Jesus is like this conquering guy, and he, you know, he busted out of the grave. And I'm like, he didn't. No. It says God went in and raised Raise him up. Raised up Jesus. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he didn't raise himself up. No. There's I mean, several verses that say we God. We sang a song, and I'm going, no, 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 no. Yeah. Most often when you're in a worship service, there's always a line that's hard to sing. Yeah. Somewhere there's some bad theology in there. Yeah. And, and somebody said, kind of. Yes. Said something about theology, and not, not in a happy context. Right. And so, because most theology is bad. No, it's bad. But will you, okay, yes. would you define the word theology? So study of God is what it means. Period. That's not bad. That's not bad. 
But and the way it's taught in, yeah, in seminaries yeah, is not good. Is not so, good. So, but we all have a theology because we're all living out God stuff, yes, right? We all so have a theology. We might not know the word, but we're all. Doing Everybody it. has theology. Yeah. It's just good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Before, I don't have a mic, but before you, no, I don't want one. Before you go, can you jump back to Jeremiah? Yes. And and give the proper. Theology. <laughs> well, no, but the proper translation that the heart is not deceitfully wicked. Yes. So Jeremiah 17, verse 9, while you're referring to it, the heart is more deceitful than all else. Well, the King James even words it worse than what I'm reading from New American Standard. And that's something important to know about the King James. King James he was is a harsher. Real guy. He was a real guy. He was a real king. Yep. And he didn't like the Rome he people. Didn't. He, he became... Well, he didn't... John Calvin's Bible was the most popular okay. Bible in England called the Geneva Bible. And John Calvin, in the margins of his Bible, wrote uh, notes that encouraged rebellion to the king. So he... John Calvin lived in Geneva, Switzerland, but England is where the King James lived, okay. and he was breaking away from Roman Catholicism. He wanted the church organized under him. So the most common Bible in England was Calvin's Bible that encouraged rebellion to the king. So he wanted his own translation to encourage people to follow the king instead of rebel. And they had rules. So King James had 15 rules that he gave the translators. Had they not followed those rules, their heads would have been cut off. They knew it was a life or death sentence. And so... Those rules were to bring the people under the king's authority into more submission. And therefore, there's heavy-handed terminology in the king germs that makes a overbearing rulership. Like in Hebrews chapter 13, where it talks about honor those who rule over you in the King James. New American says honor those who oversee you. So overrule and rule over you is harsher than oversee you. And in the Greek... The King James often does that. And here in Jeremiah 19, it does it. Jeremiah uh, 19, verse 7. Hold it. Here's 19 starting. There's 19. So here's 7. Now, what am I doing wrong? 17.9. That's why. <laughs> 17.9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. And but in King James, it's desperately wicked. I believe your King James, those of you who have it, will see that desperately wicked. Wicked is a harsher word than sick. Okay? Who can understand it? Well, usually people take that verse out of context and make everybody in the room feel like their heart is desperately wicked, even and though they're Christians. And you can't trust it because it's And you bad. can't trust it. So you live your life trying to kill your own desires. I want God's desires, not my desires. When in reality, this verse 9, it's, a com it's taken out of a context where he's comparing people with good hearts and people with bad hearts. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, curses man who trusts in mankind, makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. There's the person with a bad heart. But now verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. That's the person with a good heart. So the, it's a comparison saying there's some people with bad hearts, some with good hearts, but verse 9 says, but everybody's heart's decept deceitful. You can deceive yourself about your own heart. 
yeah, there's some people with good hearts, some with bad hearts, but uh, you can deceive yourself and make yourself, you think you have a good heart when you don't. Okay. So that's what it meant. It's not desperately wicked. It was deceptive is the word here, but everybody's heart can deceive themselves. So, so how, how do you remedy, how do you remedy that? How do you, how do you live in a way that you, I don't want to say trust your heart, but that you can discern your heart? How do you just, how yes. do you live? Yeah. What are your practical steps in learning a life of discerning your heart? So Paul and John both address that. Paul at once says, um, I don't even judge my own heart. And it's in the context of it's, it's so difficult to become self-examining that you will just get lost in the confusion of it. Where John was talking about it, that um, God, but God knows our hearts, but it was in the context that we can't really know our own heart. And Paul was talking about a sense of don't spend too much time navel scaring, staring. Just live your life and watch the fruit that come out of it. So. That's what Paul was saying. John was very similar to that. Just watch the fruit. And hit, John's fruit is love. Are you loving people? Watch to see if that evidence is there. Paul is, no, as you live, your heart will reveal itself. So now we're really off. Sorry. Yeah, we're John okay. 3, 16. Yes. God For so God loved. so loved the world. We all know that part. But yep. then we talk about the judgment thing and, and judgment. And this is judgment. Light. Yes. And people John. love their darkness yes. and turn away from the light yes. for fear yep. that their deeds will be exposed. Yes. So, and, and that, that's taking what's in my heart and turning hiding it away it. and hiding it yes. in darkness because I have fear. Yes. So Joe did really good. He did. Yeah. He said, here's my heart. It's yes. a little scary. It right? is. Right? I mean, yeah. that's, and that's the kind of... What I say usually when you talk about that judgment thing in John 3, yeah. I talk about light is if you're a child in bed and your mom turns on the light and says, 6.30, time to get up, get breakfast and get to the bus. Oh, don't want to go. You know, they have a response. But then it's 4 o'clock on Thursday and the light turns on 4 o'clock in the morning and it's the day you have to leave to go to the airport, to go to Disneyland. Yes. And they couldn't sleep, and they're ready to jump out of bed. It's the, the light. same light. Yes. But one is turning toward light with expectation. Yes. And one is turning toward light. Light. I want to hide. I don't want to do today. Yes. At least not right now. Yes. So that's John 3, 19 to 21. Yeah. Yes. So when I, I talk about I have a table time in my life, where I sit around the table with the girls, and we, and my, well, I won't tell you what I worry about. I have a hard time when I'm traveling and going, uh, and it's like, how do I get back on my regular sleep schedule? And I sleep a little bit better when I get home with just a tiny sip, not a big cup, a big <laughs> NyQuil, okay? And, uh, but I stay asleep, and I get more rested. So they ask me, and so when that doesn't work and I start to panic and I'm not on my regular schedule yet, it's 2 in the morning, I'm awake now, or it's, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, I still can't sleep now. Sometimes when we travel, you just get off the little normal thing. Yeah. And so I, so Jennifer asked me, when we go around the table, she'll say, Linda, 
How are you sleeping? And I have to say. <laughs> I use NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but she, she knows that my heart is not to have to, to be subsidized by a drug in order to do something natural. That would be the best way to say it. So she asked me how I'm doing in that process, how I'm feeling about it. Every Thursday, how are you sleeping? Because she knows that's my, yeah. you know, that well. It's, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Yeah, yes. but, but so I, I have chosen in my life to obviously live in a glass house yes. rather than yes, protect I my, I, I want to be in the practice of living in a glass house transparent. and being transparent, transparent rather than hiding my darkness and my shame. Yes. Because when I see light, I'm wanting to turn to it. I don't want to hide from it. So. Yes. That's so good. And so kind of, we're going to have to wrap up here. Yeah. Is it I like... Yeah, it's lunchtime. Our stomachs are growling. We could go on for hours. Okay. In First John, um, I think about this exposing thing. Mm -hmm. And when John says, if we confess our sins, um, God is right. He will forgive us and he's right. And he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then it says, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. I want to put that in the context of you like you do with the ladies. When you confess the word confess is agree with agree with con is with fess is agree if you agree with god what he thinks about this i'm going to think about this if you agree with it god forgives and removes it but it's the blood of jesus that cleanses us and in the context of the body of christ it's the that which you are partaking of each other the body of Christ, your ladies at the table. We have communion. You have communion. And it's, yes, God has forgiven you, but what is the process of cleansing? How is it that unrighteousness gets removed? It is by the blood in the living body of Christ that when you open up your heart to people, you expose it and you say, this is what I'm wrestling with. It is that which cleanses us. There's literally something circulating among you ladies, that is causing a circulation of healthy blood of healthy blood to make it easier from that moment forward. So to see it as a literal thing that God, yes, there's this thing going, but there's also a literally in the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus cleansing us by confessing, by opening up. And it's powerful. Yes. You need a little group, too, someday. <laughs> Is that the moral we get out of all this? You have me. You have me. I do have you. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> Harold, Harold writes, and he likes to go into his little office, and he's in his little space, and he comes I out. I think we should close real quick. You know, he does it. He, does, he comes out for toast yes. to warm his coffee before yes. his little hot coffee mug thing to have a bit of lunch. 
to say hi to the dogs and to get a little exercise, go out and do a job. And then he likes to go back in the little hole. Yes. So he's not exposed to lots of people. And when they do come around, they go. <laughs> so Harold doesn't even have a time to talk. To, you know, it's pretty rare. She calls my computer the other woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say a prayer, okay? I'm hooked. On you. On Mother's Day. Love you. Father, thank you. We love you, oh God. We love your body. We love what you do through your body. We all want to be healthy, Lord. We want to not hide things. We want to expose them to your light. Walk openly. Thank you for your goodness to us, O oh God. For your forgiveness, for giving us a new heart. Our heart wants to please you, Lord. For giving us righteousness, for giving us your spirit. What a wonderful, wonderful God you are. That you did not just stay far away, but you are here among us. We embrace that. We walk in that today, Father. For anyone wrestling in this room, Lord, for cleansing, we just speak forth forgiveness and blessings and cleansing in the name of Jesus Christ. We receive our new heart. We receive our new heart. A new spirit. A new spirit. In the same way that we came to understand that you have forgiveness in this covenant, we claim the covenant promise of a new heart. We claim the covenant promise of a new righteous spirit. We don't want to claim it. No? We want to touch it. We want to touch it. It's more relational to touch than okay. claim. Erase what I said, God. <laughs> what she said. We want to partake of it. Yes. We walk in it. it. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Everybody say amen. 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 Hallelujah. I think we did what we're supposed to. Okay. Okay. Let me get back to you, bro.